So week number two is where we're at tonight. Uh, we're looking here at verses 31 to 41 in Luke chapter 4. So let's, uh, let's begin by reading it together. Um, and as we typically do around here, let's stand as we read um, in honor of God's word. Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 41. Luke writes this, and he said, And he, that being Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, in their midst, he came out of him, and having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Go ahead and have a seat, and we'll talk about this a little bit further here. So, Again, these first couple of weeks, I want to just kind of continue to help you and train you for how you're thinking about doing these uh, studies on your own throughout the week. So, again, the hope is that you are taking time throughout the week to uh, fill out some of those questions in the observed section. So as you're following through the story, you're taking notes, you're, you're making those observations. And this is part of how we learn to study the Bible and kind of come to uh, interpretations and Summaries to best understand what the Word of God is teaching us. So we're going to do a little bit of that again tonight, kind of walk back through. Uh, you'll notice again that first question in that observed section is kind of about all the people who are involved in the story. This one has a lot of different people, and there's a lot we could say about them, so we're going to kind of skip over that, and we're going to jump to some of the other ones. But uh, we're going to look first at that second question, describing the situation, describing the situation that's at play here in this particular lesson. So as you kind of look at this particular section, you're probably coming to an understanding of, okay, so what is happening here in the story, the, the situation and the dilemma that's at stake here is that many people afflicted with diseases and demons are being presented to Jesus. So that in and of itself would be an appropriate summation of what is actually going on in this situation. Uh, if you expanded that, it would kind of just uh, broaden over time here, uh, understanding that this begins with a single individual while Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and eventually spreads to Simon's house where more people eventually come to him. Okay, so that's a very appropriate summation of what you see in this. Now, when we get to the next question about how does Jesus respond, what does he say, what does he command, any warnings, you'll notice that this kind of 
gets a little bit bigger because there's more to this, and especially because there's different movements in this story. And so you can appropriately kind of categorize that based on the various movements in this. And so if you look at the story, you might see, okay, well, it feels like there's three main kind of movements in the story, verses 31 to 37, verses 38 to 39, and then verses 40 to 41. In fact, those are kind of marked off by paragraph breaks because it kind of shows you that there's a little bit of uh, transitioning going on in this story. So if you were to look at how Jesus responds, you could see how he responds in each of those various situations. So, for example, in a story like this, verses 31 to 37, we could say when confronted by the demon-possessed man, Jesus rebukes the demon to remain silent and to come out. Verses 38 to 39, when presented to Simon's mother-in-law, Jesus rebukes the fever to leave her. Verses 40 to 41, when healing those with diseases, Jesus rebukes the demons not to speak. Now, notice here, three different times that language of rebuke is noted. So I'm curious, for, for those of you who studied this week, and this isn't for extra credit or anything, but how many of you noticed that when you were studying this week? You noticed that this word rebuke showed up each of these times in these movements. Good. So that, that's just something that, again, you want to keep an eye out for. Oh, this word's repeating itself. This is showing me something about the emphasis in this particular section. So notice that I highlighted those because those words appear each and every time in this story. And then finally, the last thing you're looking at is what's the outcome? Well, since there's three main movements in this story, there's kind of three different outcomes. So if we look at these same breakdowns, but we look at the different outcomes, what do we see in verses 31 to 37? The demon leaves the man unharmed, and the people were left amazed at the authority and power of Jesus. The second movement, you see that the fever left Simon's mother-in-law, and she immediately got up to serve them. And then verses 40 and 41, the people were healed by Jesus' touch, and the demons were silenced from revealing Jesus' true identity. So each time, you see that there is solution to this, but notice each time Jesus' purposes are accomplished. Every time he rebukes or he commands something, whatever it is that he rebukes or he commands, listens. And that's significant as you think about what is the main point then of this story. So I'm curious, for those of you who took time to do this this week, what are some of the main points you came up with? If you remember, we're trying to, to kind of base it off of this kind of a script that we have at the bottom, right? This encounter teaches me that Jesus was. What, is, what are some of the things that maybe you came up with this week as you studied it? Yeah, Andrew. I said it's all-powerful and has authority. I love it. It's all-powerful and has authority. Good. Anything else? Yeah. Okay, I like it. So you're getting even to the heart of Jesus, right? So that he is, uh, that he has compassion and what? Uh, quick to help his children when they're in need. I love that. Perfect. Any other? Those are great. And so I think you're definitely all kind of starting to get the idea here, especially with what Luke is presenting. I think the big picture, you can look at it something like this, right? This encounter teaches me that Jesus... As the Son of God, because you might have noticed in this a couple different times, the demons even are recognizing Jesus for who he is, right? The Holy One of God, the Son of God. Jesus, as the Son of God, has all power and authority. Really, that is the, the, the real driving force behind this, is that Jesus is all-powerful, 
and has all authority. And you could add to that the specific manifestations of it in the story, right? Over demons and disease, over the sick and the supernatural, or you could say over this broken world, right? Because the fact that there is sickness, the fact that there is uh, uh, demonic forces at play show the brokenness of this world. And so all that is very appropriate as we look at this story. So again, taking a few minutes just to help you as you are continuing to do this on your own, keep up the work, right? Keep trying to do this on your own throughout the week because I believe that it will reap great benefits for you as you learn how to study God's word on your own. So let's take the next 20 minutes here and let's walk back through the story. I want to give some clarity as we seek to really drive home this specific point that Jesus as the Son of God has all power and authority. And we're going to look at it in those three main movements that we just talked about. So let's start in verses 31 to 37. Notice here it says that Jesus went down to Capernaum, which according to those study notes there, Capernaum was this city, uh, the northwest corner of the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee. Um, and it was a very strategic place where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. It's kind of like his home base up in the northern region of Israel. And notice here it says that he was teaching on the Sabbath, and he's particularly in what's called a synagogue. A synagogue is just a fancy word for uh, a house of worship for the Jewish people. And they would do this on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was kind of like their holy day, their day of worship, their day of rest. It would happen from basically sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. So our kind of day of worship is on Sunday. Theirs was on Saturday. And the fact that Jesus is teaching is pretty interesting because uh, synagogues did not necessarily have set preachers. You guys are used to going to churches where there's particular preachers or, or teachers who are uh, in charge and they do the weekly ministry there. But in a synagogue, you would have a synagogue ruler who was tasked with uh, overseeing uh, the ministry at the synagogue, but they were kind of like a, they were kind of like a combination of like a janitor, a librarian, uh, an administrator, but they were not necessarily a teacher themselves. And so, uh, the guest preacher this day at the synagogue in Galilee is none other than Jesus. So we see him teaching these people on the Sabbath, and it's interesting here because notice the way that they are responding to Jesus's ministry here it says that they were astonished at his teaching. I don't know if you noticed that, like the ways that people responded to Jesus, but it says here that they were astonished at his teaching. Why? What was it? What is it that was amazing to them about his teaching? What does the text tell us? Why were they amazed? Yeah. He preached with authority. Uh, you know, the other accounts uh, tell us that uh, he taught with authority unlike the, the scribes and the Pharisees, which is interesting because you, you ask yourself, well, what does it mean to teach with authority? How is it that the scribes and the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish people, why was their teaching not filled with authority? And I think the answer to that is really the fact that most of the religious leaders in this time were kind of what we call, they were yes men. 
They were essentially kind of quote machines. They, they loved to refer to other uh, rabbinic literature. They, they, they quoted other scholars and people who had studied the scriptures. But very rarely did they ever speak as if they were truly uh, speaking the words from God that God's word had actually said. And so it's interesting here, right? This is not so with Jesus. There was something we could say that was almost original and fresh to his words, which if you think about this, student, why does that make sense? Why does that make sense that it feels like it's fresh and original to Jesus? Well, who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. God himself speaks his words. The scriptures come directly from God. And so when Jesus speaks here, he speaks with the authority that already belongs to him because he himself, God, owns scripture, right? He is the one from which it comes. And so it makes sense to us when we think about it here. That's, it makes sense that his uh, uh, teaching would be with authority because he was the one who spoke it to begin with. So what happens, though, in the middle of his teaching? These people are amazed at uh, his wisdom. And then something happens to him that uh, nothing has ever happened to me before when I've been preaching. Um, and some demon-possessed guy just comes onto the stage, right? Just interrupts him in the middle of things. Uh, I remember years ago when I was in California, uh, I remember a situation where a guy came on stage in the middle of the, the sermon that was going on and like approached the preacher who was in the pulpit. I remember that was a really freaky situation. Never seen anything like that in my life. Certainly have never seen anything like this before. This is quite the interruption. I've had a lot of weird interruptions. I've had people, cell phones go off. We've had babies crying. I've had people burp on me. But never before has a demon possessed guy broken up the service before. And so, so interesting here, and again, we live in a world and a culture right now in America where we're like, well, this, this feels so distant from us. Like, well, do demons really exist? Well, yeah, they do. I believe Satan is very strategic to know how to tempt and to lead astray in different contexts and cultures. And we already learned last week that Jesus himself is going to be victorious over Satan and that includes those who under under the control of Satan, even through his minions, his demons, right? Those who do his bidding in this world. And so Jesus has complete control over this situation. The demon here, the reason he's interrupting, he's trying to really draw attention to who Jesus is here. He's like, I know who you are. I know you're the son of God. And notice that Jesus is very quick to try to shut him down and to keep him from declaring who he is. Why? Why do you think that Jesus is trying to shut that down? Why is that important for Jesus? Because he does that a lot in his ministry. Why does he not want people to know his true identity as the Christ, as the Messiah for the people? Any idea? Talked about this a little bit on Sunday mornings. He didn't want it to be a distraction. Uh, in fact, the, the, old, uh, the uh, Jewish people had a really uh, kind of a narrow view of what they thought the Jewish Messiah was going to be, a, a deliverer. They thought he was going to be a warrior. They thought he was somebody who was going to 
free them from the oppression of Rome and just be this uh, kind of military general. That's what they thought he was going to be. And Jesus' mission was so much bigger, so much broader than that, that he did not want it to be a distraction too early on. And so Jesus, so interestingly here, he, he rebukes, the, right? That, that strong word, he rebukes, he commands this demon to come out of this man. And it's interesting because it says here that the, the, the demon throws him down in their midst. He came out of them, having done him no harm. You can imagine in this moment when this is happening, like the stunned silence, right? Everybody's just like, what just happened? <clears throat> What in the world just happened? And then when they finally come to their senses, what their realization is in this very moment is amazement. It says in verse 36, they were all amazed. And they said to one, one another, what is this word? What is this word that he has just spoken Notice it says, for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they obey. They leave. <laughs> this is unlike any authority they had ever seen before in his teaching, in his actions, the way he controls the situation. This guy is different. Verse 37 says reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Everybody whipped out their phones, got on Twitter, and started spreading the word, right? No, of course they didn't actually. But if they would have back then, apparently they spread the word pretty quickly, right? Like, news of this type of event spreads very quickly. People word about it, it gets around. Well, what does Jesus do uh, right after this? Well, he and his... His disciples, they're ready for a lunch break, so they, they leave the synagogue. It says, verse 38, we move into the second movement in the story. It says, he arose and he left the synagogue and went into Simon's house. Now here in Simon's house, uh, we see here that his mom, uh, sorry, his mother-in-law uh, is ill. Uh, we don't know the specifics of it, but it seems like this fever that she has is pretty severe. Who knows? Could have been the first cases of COVID, for all we know. Could have started with Peter's mother-in-law, right? But something is certainly debilitating about this situation, right? She's bedridden. It's possible she might not be recovering from this. This could be her end. Back in this day, they didn't have the type of doctors we have, right? You just kind of ride this out, and we'll see what happens. And they appealed to Jesus, right? They had just seen Jesus' authority on display, you can imagine him saying, like, listen, like, if there's anything you can do, can, can you help? So what does he do? Stood over her, and he does what? Rebukes. Same word that he just used in the last section here, just like rebuking the demon. Now he rebukes the disease, the ailment, the fever. Tells it to be gone. And what happens? Just like that, it's gone. Just like that. And I love it because it's, it's the, the effects are immediate. It's not just like, okay, she'll be better in a few days. No, it's like, boom, she pops up right away. I imagine him like lifting up basketball style, right? Somebody gets knocked down like, hey, pull you back up. And I love it. And she says, it says that she immediately rose and began to serve them. 
<laughs> she gets right to work. She doesn't waste any time. She probably is looking at Peter like, what are you, what are you doing? We have guests. Well, why is the house such a mess? Right? I got to get in the kitchen. We got to get, we got people. We got company. Just like any good mother knows, right? She gets to work. A 180 experience that is dramatic. And if that's not enough for you, the third movement says now when the sun was setting, in other words, this has all been one day. I don't know about you guys, but this has been quite the day already to see what Jesus has done. And by evening, all those who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. This word that got out about what Jesus could do, guess what? People are catching wind of it. They're grabbing anybody they know that's sick, that's oppressed, that has any type of ailment, and they're bringing him to Jesus. And one by one, Jesus is healing them. But don't miss the intimate way that Jesus is doing so. Notice what it says here. How did he heal them? What does it say? He laid his hands on them. Right? In this culture, for people to be sick and to be uh, diseased or whatever, for you to put your hands on them would make you unclean. But notice what happens. There's no spreading of uncleanliness. In fact, all uncleanliness and all disease is ridden. It's gone. It's done at the touch of Jesus. And it's amazing here because we see that several of these people, their ailment that they were facing, we know that it was all kinds of things, but it says that even more people were demon-possessed. And more demons also came out of many people, verse 41 said. Oh, by you, you're like, man, how many people are demon-possessed in Capernaum? I didn't really think that this was a real issue, right? Like, okay, maybe, you know, we got some deaf people or some blind people or, you know, my tummy hurts, but like... How many people? And you think to yourself, you realize these are life-changing experiences. Sometimes we read the Bible so quickly and we brush over the fact like, oh, Jesus met this person, he healed them, and then moves on. Student, you need to stop and think about that for a moment. That each and every time Jesus heals somebody, especially in this culture, you think to yourself, any of these diseases, any of these people who were... Uh, enslaved by Satan's power, whatever it may be, these were, these were things that ruined lives. And each and every time Jesus touches these people, their lives are changed forever. When we think about this series and we call it Encounters and People Jesus Met, we have to recognize that so many of these people walked away from meeting Jesus changed forever and in radical ways. That's exactly what is going on here. And notice, even when he's driving out these, these demons in these people, again, they're calling out, you are the son of God, and he rebuked them. He would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Even the demons listen to Jesus. Even the demons are submissive to his authority. And what a day, right? What a day. All this in one day. This demonstration of all this power and all this authority. So think about this for just a moment, right? You have in this story Jesus presented as someone who is high and mighty, 
but also gentle and lowly. Right? You have this God who is all-powerful, who has power and authority unlike anything you've ever seen, and yet he remains humble and accessible. So much so that anybody who comes to him, he is willing to touch their lives. He's not some Wizard of Oz type character as if he doesn't have time for the peasants and the, the petty things of this world. No, everyone has his ear. Everyone has his attention. It reminds us of what he says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, right? Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. It's a reminder to us also that, again, just one encounter with Jesus can be life-changing. Some of you who have been here for years, your lives have been changed by Jesus. Some of you, you, you've encountered Jesus numerous times through his word, and yet your heart still remains hardened. Right? You have not submitted to this authority and this power of Jesus. And if we see anything from the story, the story is that we should respond to Jesus' authority with attention and action, right? When Jesus spoke, people listened. When Jesus gave an order, the demons obeyed. It sets a very high precedent for how we should think about the authority of Jesus. And I recognize we don't like that word authority. Authority is kind of a bad word in our culture. You're being taught right now in your, your world and your culture right now that authority is something that you should question. Authority is something that you should be skeptical of. You should challenge, right? But Jesus, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he truly is a gentle and a lowly savior, then his authority is actually for your greatest good. His authority is not a threat, student. It, in fact, is the greatest source of freedom that you will ever know. And that's important because of all the authorities that you are listening to in this world. And I don't just mean parents. I don't just mean teachers or coaches. I mean the authorities that you're always hearing in your life, the things that are telling you how you should think, how you should live, how you should behave, what you should do, right? Relationships, sports, entertainment, academics, success. You hear these voices all the time, these authorities that are trying to tell you what you should do and how you should, how you should live. Sometimes I wonder if demons do a better job obeying Jesus than what we do. And so we should respond to Jesus' authority with attention and action. And finally, we should respond to Jesus' power with submission and service. Right? I love that that was the natural response of Peter's mother-in-law. Right? It provides the perfect picture of what our lives should look like when we come face-to-face with the transforming power of Jesus. It's not merely to say, hey, thanks, Jesus. Appreciate what you did for me. Now I'm going to go off and just live my life however. But I really appreciate you. This is great. We should do this again sometime. No, that's, that's not. That's not what it is to be a Christian. That's not what it is to be changed forever by Jesus. It's not to experience all the saving benefits but lack any meaningful relationship. It's to immediately come to grips with the fact that you are no longer your own. That you will now submit your life to the one who has saved your soul from complete destruction. And student, he's worthy of that. If this story teaches us anything, he is worthy of your all. 
And so I ask you tonight, how are you actively looking to serve the Lord in response to everything that he has done for you? Not to repay him, not because you owe him, but because you desire to show love and appreciation for all that he has done for you. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the privilege to process this together. I pray that you would now bless our students and their leaders as they um, have some more chance to, to talk about this and to think about everything that they've learned. Appreciate you just setting Jesus on display for us. I pray that we would always see his power and authority not as a threat to our well-being, but actually, Lord, the greatest source of freedom for our well-being in this world. Uh, so help us as we just think about that and process it together now in our groups. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.